0: The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. We are in Ephesians chapter 6. We preach right through books of the Bible. And uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Slide forward a little bit here. I'm going to do something that I normally don't do. We, um, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We use the, internet, uh, the ESV Bible because it's a word-for-word word translation, and it's, got, it's one of the best translations. I believe it is the best translation on the market right now, word-for-word word translation um, by some of the leading scholars in the world today. But what I want to do is I, I want to read the same passage I just read from the ESV. I want to read it out of the message. Now, if you're familiar with the message... The message is written by Eugene Peterson. It's a paraphrase. It is not word for word for word. The point of the message is not to go word for word exactly what, what the original manuscript said. The point of the message is to give you the big picture, to give you the thought, to maybe allow you to see the scripture in a different way. So with that said, I'm going to read this. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10. And that about wraps it up. God is strong. And he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his, all of his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the sh- when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are far more than just words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. Alright, that's the paraphrase of what we're talking about today. Now... We're going to get into some stuff. You probably, maybe the hairs in your back of your neck are already standing up a little bit. Again, we preach verse by verse, so I can't avoid stuff. If it's there, I've got to talk about it. So we're going to get into that this morning. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your word, that it's infallible, that it's the word of God, that it's inerrant without any error, that it speaks to us. Uh, it's outside of us. It's outside of time. It's something that, that speaks to us and speaks truth in a world that doesn't hang on to, that doesn't claim anything else as truth. So I pray that you would cut through all of our assumptions, you'd cut through all of our cultural ideals, and you would cut to the heart this morning and you would speak to us right where we are. I thank you for giving us this treasure in your word. We honor you this morning. Uh, I pray that you take my mind and you think through it and you'd speak through my vocal cords this morning, that you'd anoint the ears to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I was in high school, I played football. Every week... Before the, before the game, we would all crowd into this darkened room and we would watch film on our opponent. We wanted to know their best offensive weapons, their uh, holes in their defense, and what type of fight we could expect on the next Friday night. Nobody likes surprises on game day. These were times where we were diligently studying our enemy so that we could beat them, right? The most dangerous opponent in your life is the one you don't expect, Today in our text, in Ephesians, Paul uncovers our real enemy. He says, it's not flesh and blood. No matter, I know what you think about your mother-in-law, but she ain't it. All right? It's not flesh and blood. Our real enemy is the devil. The dreaded, D-word, the devil. And immediately we think, ha-ha, funny, pitchfork, red dude, right? Right? Are you serious? Come on, we're educated, we're enlightened. You don't actually believe in the devil, do you? Yes. Jesus did, so do we. But what do we believe about the devil? C.S. Lewis, in his brilliant book, um, The Screwtape Letters, he starts it off with this quote There are two equal and opposing errors in which our race call, or in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are pleased, the demons and the devils, themselves are pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. C.S. Lewis says there's two errors that we can fall in. we can say, ah, hocus pocus, the devil is just a myth. Or we can get caught up, which many religions do, many um, hyper-charismatic Christians do, and they think a devil's behind every corner, and they're seeking to cast out demons on the street corner, and if you start hiccuping or coughing, they think it's a devil, right? Both are opposing, both are errors. One of the most dominant worldviews in our culture today is that of the materialist, or as we call it, a humanistic naturalism humanistic naturalism. Now you probably, unless you're taking a philosophy course, you probably never, maybe you don't hear that term, but this is what it means. It means that it's the belief that human beings are best able to control and understand the world through the use of the scientific method. Everything is explainable. Nothing is miraculous. There is no supernatural. Everything has natural causes. The reason you, the way you are is because of your upbringing, because of your socioeconomic background, because of your um, psychology or, psycho, or, or psychiatry or whatever. It's all physical. It's biology that makes you the way you are. Because we all swim in the same cultural waters, you probably don't actually think about this very often and you don't understand how, how influenced you are by it. In 2009, the Barna Group asked professing American Christians if they believed that Satan was not actually a living being, but rather just a symbol of evil. Four out of ten Christians, that's 40%, strongly agreed with that statement. An additional two out of ten, or another 19%, said they agreed somewhat. With that perspective. That means 60% of professing Christians don't believe what the Bible teaches about the devil. They believe he's an idea of evil, he's kind of an analogy for evil, he's not a real, inherent person. This creates a large problem for us. As we've been working for the last year, we've been working through the books of Ephesians, this creates a large problem for us. Paul, the Apostle Paul has spent three chapters dropping gospel bombs on us. He has shown us God's magnificent plan of salvation and renewal for all of creation from a cosmic perception, literally from the heavenlies. And then he's used the last two chapters to show us how all this beautiful ad- doctrine impacts our hearts, impacts our families, impacts our relationships, impacts our marriages, impacts our parenting, and impacts our work. The gospel, that doctrine affects everything. Now, if you've been around a while, you know that Paul has given us some brilliant stuff, right? Paul's been one of the, I mean, he's got an absolute brilliant mind. People that study Greek say he's one of the the most beautiful Greek writers in history that we have to study. He, this right here that we're studying today is another 100, I think it's a 112 word sentence. The guy doesn't like punctuation marks, right? He's a speed talker. He just wants to get it all out. But now, this is weird, brilliant dude. Now in his closing, he begins to wrap things up with the word finally. He lets us know everything that came before. Finally, I'm closing. And he says, the reason our life is not going well as well as we hoped, is that we are in a battle. That we're in a war. The reason our marriages are struggling, the reason we don't understand our wife and we don't want to submit to our husband and we don't want to love our wife and lay down our life, the reason our kids are disobedient, the reason we have this rebellion inside of us that wants to stand up and wants to put other people down, the reason these things are going on is because we have a real enemy Named the devil who seeks to destroy us and to deceive us. Now, as for us, I know this. Raised in a secular culture, we want to say no. No, I am not influenced by the devil. That's just an excuse. The devil made me do it. That's just an excuse. Give me a break. That's superstitious. You can't blame everything bad on the devil. Right? We're far too smart. Our culture is far too educated to blame things on the devil, right? We just blame them on our parents, right? Go to any psychiatrist today, one of the first things they're going to talk, but tell me about your mom. Tell me about your dad. You couldn't eat sugar as a kid? Well, you've been abused. For the next year and a half, you pay me $120 an hour, we'll talk about this. We'll work through this, Right? Everything bad, everything that you struggle with, it's all because of the way you were raised, right? When a culture, listen, this is what happens. When a culture dismisses the idea of person, the personification of evil in Satan or the devil, all forms of wrong get blamed on environment. All forms of wrong get blamed on environment. It's environmental reasons, it's environmental causes, it's biological, it's physical. I was poor. I had a bad upbringing. I was uneducated. This, this, this was dominant. Really, it's been, it's been, it's still in the high edu- educational institutions, but it's dying off a little bit because of things like World War II. Right? We thought if we just educate people, we just educate people, then the world is going to be at peace. If we just educate people, we can get rid of poverty and we can get rid of pain and we can get rid of evil. We just need to educate people. And then one of the most educated countries on the face of the planet, Germany, what did they want to do? Right? They wanted to annihilate the rest of humanity. They wanted wanted genocide, right? They wanted to kill and, and create this uber race, this uber man. That we learned something in World War II. Some of us did. We learned stuff in World War II that evil is inherent. There's something evil going on inside of people and you can't educate it out of them. Uh, uh, There's this great quote in a book, in a movie. Um, um, Yes, I'm going to quote it. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Officer Starling is interviewing Hannibal Lecter. Okay, It's, it's one of the scariest books of all time. Okay. She's interviewing Hannibal Lecter, who's a sociopathic murderer who eats his victims. I'm just going to throw that out there, okay? And she says this. What happened to you? What, what, listen, what happened to you? She's confronted with evil, and she doesn't know what to do with it. Something had to make him this way. Bad parents, right? Unjust social system, poor schools. What made him this way? And this is, what, this is his response. Wisdom from a sociopathic murderer, right? He says this, Nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me, Officer Starling. Can you stand to say I'm evil Our culture has no way and has no answer for evil. They don't even have the ability to create a standard for what is evil. Without God, how can you create a standard for evil? They don't believe in absolute truth. Who's to say what is evil and what isn't evil if all that exists is carbon, gases, and energy? If we're here by random chance and random happenstance that the right carbon, the right energy, the right things got together and poof, we just existed and now we've just evolved from that. Who's to say what is evil and what's not evil? This was a leading factor in what Hitler was trying to do. I'm the evolved species. We just kill those who are ignorant. We just kill those who are below us. We just kill those who are less than we are. I would really lo- now listen. I would really love to spend a lot. I could spend all day on that right there, but I can't. So I'm going to move on. We're going to get through this really quick. And what we're going to do is like that. If you've ever played football, those scouting reports that you got on the other team—that's uh, what we're going to do this morning a little bit. We're going to get a scouting report on our enemy. We're going to learn about the devil from the Bible, from what Scripture tells us. And I'm going to go really quick and I'm going to give a really big overview of this. Number one, Satan. And Satan, the devil, he's called a lot of things in Scripture. He's called Satan, he's called the devil, he's called Lucifer, he's called um, all kind of different names. Satan was created. He was created by God. That means, listen, this is huge. That means he needs God to sustain him. He cannot exist on his own. Only God is a primary being. Only God can exist all by his lonesome in the Trinity. Satan was, as he was created, the most beautiful angel that God had created. Lucifer, the sun and morning star, the bright morning star. He was absolutely beautiful and bright. Satan had the ability to choose and obey or to disbelieve and disobey God. Satan, his downfall was caused by his pride. This, that, that's so, that could be a whole sermon right there. Beauty caused his demise. He wanted more. I've love. i been studying uh, the theology of Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards has this brilliant concept and idea in one of his journals. And he says this. He says he believes we don't really know what caused Satan. Like what was the, you know, all of a sudden Satan said, I want to be like God. I want to rule. I don't want to submit myself. I don't want to humble myself under God and worship him. I think I could be like him. And there's a lot of debate on what really caused that. What was the moment in time where Satan finally flipped the switch and said, I'm not going to worship him. I'm going to be my own. Demigod, and Jonathan Edwards has this really interesting statement, and he says this: He says Satan heard the plan of God. Satan heard the Trinity speaking of, "We're going to make man in our own image, and then they're going to screw, and then they're going to all screw it up, and then." I, the son, is going to go and become man like them and then God is going to die on behalf of humankind and then God the Father is going to adopt human beings into the family of God. And the most beautiful of all God's creatures up until this moment couldn't handle that kind of love being showered on somebody else. Couldn't handle God adopting humans and not himself. And out of that, his pride, he, he incited a rebellion. It's a brilliant thought. It's a brilliant thought. Now, when he, in doing this, Satan incited one-third of all the angels. One-third of all the angels, he got on his side, and he led a rebellion against the God of the universe. <clears throat> there would be no redemption for Satan and his angels. There is no grace for Satan and his angels. God was 100% just when they rebelled. I mean, he batted his eye and cast him out of heaven. There was no true. Angst or animosity for the for the throne. I, I'm reading a, a book called Game or several books called Game of Thrones right now, and it's all about the fight over. It's like medieval kind of type thing, and it's it's a fight for thrones and how kings try to overthrow one another and they try to get at each other. There was no um and there was no possibility that Satan was going to overthrow God. God was never moved from his throne. God has Satan on a leash. He's a created being who can do nothing without God's approval, without God's okay, without God's permission. And when God had had enough, he snapped his fingers and boom, like lightning, Jesus said, I saw saw Satan fall from the heavens. Satan and his demons, that's what happened. The fallen angels became demons. Satan and his demons were cast out from heaven. And Satan, out of his inherent hatred for God and all that is good, he tempted Adam and Eve, our forefathers, to follow him in rebellion against their creator. You can be like gods. Don't follow him. And Adam and Eve, we know, rebelled and followed Satan. In doing so, Satan instituted his dominion. He exercised a pervasive, controlling influence over the world so that the scriptures call him now the ruler of this world, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air, and states that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. A chapter later, after Adam and Eve fell, we have the first murder in the history of humanity. That is why he is referred to in the scriptures as a murderer from the beginning, the father of lies and the tempter. Anytime we see violence, we see bloodshed, we see murder, war, oppression, genocide, or any other expression of hate, as well as any and every sin, deception, and evil, Satan and his demonic host are promoting it enticing it and empowering it. Now, I know that seems superstitious. I know we think we're enlightened. I know we think we're beyond that and we're in a culture of peace, but this has been the most bloody century in the history of humankind that we have on record. More wars, more genocide, more death, more racial cleansing than any time in history. And we're educated and we have the internet and we're free of superstition. We're free of this idea that there's a personification of evil. We freed ourselves from the bondage of religion in many ways. And what's happened? The wheels fall off of our lives, of our cultures, of our societies. Satan is called, he is now, in Ephesians 2, 2 we read this, that he is now the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You can trace all evil... All error and all violence back to Satan. His ultimate desire is to deceive all, to bring all people away from God into sin, into misery and death, and ultimately eternal damnation and eternal destruction. But, some of the bad news, but Satan is a created being, he's not all powerful. He cannot make you do something. There is no, the devil made me do it excuse for sin. He tempts, he lies, he deceives, but we choose to follow. We are culpable. In Genesis, after Adam and Eve decided to follow Satan, God promised, it's called the Proto-Evangelion, God promised to Deliver mankind. God promised to defeat Satan once and for all through his seed, through Adam's seed. It was a prophecy pointing to the coming of his son in humanity in the incarnation in Jesus Christ. Jesus then fulfills that prophecy some 3,000 years later. In John 1, 3, 8, this is what Jesus, or this is what scriptures say. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God. I love the, the, the gospel of Mark. Jesus comes in preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus comes in preaching the gospel. About himself. I am here to destroy the works of darkness. I am here to make everything, and my, one of my favorite lines in the Jesus Storybook Bible that I get to read to my son every night. I am here, Jesus says, to make everything sad come untrue. He's rewriting history. He's recreating all the earth. The story doesn't end with us our spirits floating up to heaven to float around on a cloud the rest of our life. For eternity. The story ends with a new creation. Restored earth. Beautiful culture. Beautiful art. Beautiful workplace. Beautiful beautiful things. That's what the end result is. God recreating Eden into a new city. In Revelation 21. In Matthew 25... In Revelation, in particular chapter 20, God gives us the final word on Satan. This is where Satan's headed. This is his end. He will be cast into eternal fires of hell along with his demonic hosts, a place created specifically for him. And the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God and our Christ. We don't need a son. Jesus Christ will light the earth. So Satan, now listen, this was this, 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 Jesus' ministry. Every opportunity in Jesus' life and ministry, the, three, the 33 years he lived on this planet, the three years that he ministered, every opportunity Satan had, he violently opposed Jesus. Jesus overcame him at every instance. Satan's greatest attempt was to entice Judas to betray Jesus and to incite the political powers to crucify him. But God, like I said, God has Satan on a leash. This is brilliant. If you want to just cook your noodle, study this. God used the greatest sins of mankind to deliver us from our sin. God used the ugliest, the most heinous sin of all all time, which is crucifying and killing the sinless Son of God. He used sin to bring about his ultimate plan of salvation. God has Satan on a leash. And he even used history's greatest sin to deal Satan his death blow in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I know I'm, I'm, this is, we're like 30,000 foot. We're flying over. We're going really fast. I've got a lot of scripture. But I, I just want to inundate you this morning with scripture. So you've got a biblical framework of the devil. That when you picture the devil, you don't picture a little cartoon running around with his pitchfork, red, pointy tail, and all these things. Right? Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14 says this. Jesus, through the work of the cross, he has delivered us. Somebody say delivered us. Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus did something significant on the cross. What Satan was, the God of this age and the God of this world, and he ruled and he reigned on a leash... And everyone in this planet is born into the kingdom of darkness. We're born blind, in a sense. We're born in our sin. We're born sinners. We're born ready and trained and willing to sin. We have to be wooed away from that into righteousness. We have to be wooed away from the darkness into the light. Jesus Christ made that available. There's no other way to be brought out of the darkness except through the blood shed by the son of God. There's no other sacrificing sacrifice good enough for sin except the sinless spotless blood of Christ. Colossians 2:15 He has disarmed the rulers and authorities. Direct quote, uh, like, like in Ephesians that where he's talking about demons and rulers and authorities and powers and all these demonic stuff that's going on. Colossians 2.15 says, he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. But Satan is a suicide bomber. He knows his demise is close at hand. He knows scripture better than we do. He knows what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. He knows what's coming for him, but he's a suicide bomber. And he wants to take as many people with him as possible. See, Jesus has won a great victory for his people on the cross. It's won. It's finished. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. And he defeated death. Now, the confusing thing for you and I is simply this. We live in this really awkward time. We live in the in-between ages, is what it's called. It's the the now but not yet time. Hmm? Listen, this is what I mean. Jesus Christ has come. He has defeated death. He has died. He has been resurrected. But he will come again. And, And when he comes again, he will destroy Satan, ultimately, once and for all. He's disarmed him. He will destroy him in the future. And now we live in this in-between awkward time. The now but not yet age. And some people get really confused at this point thinking that perhaps the gospel has failed. Perhaps God has failed. Perhaps God... I mean, this is the thing like, is God love? If God is love, then how could evil happen? Well, if God is love... And evil happens, maybe he either isn't love or maybe he isn't all-powerful. Maybe he's love, but he's in heaven just saying, Oh, I wish I could do something about that evil, but I just don't have the strength to do it. Right? Or he's this wicked ruler in heaven laughing about the wickedness of humanity. Laughing about the injustices of our time. The Bible says no. The Bible says we live in this in-between time. That God does know evil but God allows evil to bring about his purposes. People always ask me, Justin, then why did God allow evil in the first place? And the most poignant answer for my soul is this, so that we could kill him. It's hard to love a deity in the heaven that nothing can touch. He doesn't know pain. He doesn't know hurt. He doesn't know me. The the Christian God has felt the tip of a spear. The Christian God has felt whips on his back. The Christian God has felt cursing. Why does he allow pain? So that we can know what love looks like. No man knows love like this. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. And God laid his life down for his enemies. but this is really not popular in our culture today because we go in churches and we have fluffy pop music and we like to sing songs about Jesus make me happy. Jesus be my boyfriend. Little Justin Bieber worship songs. All right? We, we sing these songs. We want to just walk away going, Oh, Jesus. That's how we want to walk out of church. We don't want to hear death, we don't want to hear blood, we don't want to hear atonement, we don't want to hear propitiation and expiation. We don't want to hear salvation and damnation. We don't want to hear reality. We've tuned our ears to hear fluff. to hear God wants your, you to have your best life now. God wants you to be successful and have money and have mansions and have no worries and no problems. I thought the Christian life was about victory, Justin. I thought as soon as I meet Jesus, life gets easy. Some of you were told that except Christ life gets easy. It's not true. There's a war. There's a God, one God, one triune God, and there's Satan. And in the middle is us. There's God, there's Satan in the middle is humanity. So Paul tells us here in this text, life is war. You're in a battle and you need strength. Do you realize that this morning? You can't fight this fight on your own. You can't do this alone. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't do this by getting alone and just working through your problems. You can't do this by isolating yourselves. From humanity, if I put up big enough fences around my house and around my yard, then I can avoid being hurt. I can avoid evil. No, you can't. You need the gospel. You need community. You need the body of Christ. He says, stand strong in the strength of Jesus and in the strength of his might. Not in your own strength. Stand receiving strength from the gospel, receiving strength from going back in my mind to the work of Christ on the cross. I don't stand thinking happy thoughts. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. That's not power. I read this quote this week in a book. No change of job, no increased income, no new home, no new project, no new spouse is going to make things better inside you. Evil isn't just outside you. It's in us. And Paul, Paul kind of alludes to this in this text. He says, we're given armor. Goes through all this armor that we've been given. Um, Everything is defensive protection, except for the sword of the spirit. But his marching orders are to stand. This is where we get back to like Lewis's quote about don't go looking for demons. Don't be like trying to read all these books about demons because you want to, you know, cast demons out and you think the reason your neighbor doesn't mow her grass is because she's demonic, right? It's not true. It's not real. Well, maybe it is. I have no idea actually, but I doubt it. I highly doubt it. Listen, this is so weird. Paul does, and if we could read Greek, we would, we would see this a little clearer, but it's going to take a little work for us to, to see this. Think about this. Paul goes into all this armor. Stand, put your armor on, get your, you know, get your sword. And then what's he, say, what's he say about our enemy? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look, look, look. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, if you could read Greek, you you could blatantly see the difference. He didn't use, we don't fight against flesh and blood. He didn't use, we don't battle. We don't fence. We don't sword fight. He said, we don't wrestle. Paul's being very specific. Wrestling is face to face. Wrestling is hand to hand. Wrestling is intimate. You don't want to wrestle on the battlefield. That means the enemy has already gotten past your first line of defense, past your second line of defense, and now his hands are around your throat. You're fully, you're in full armor, <laughs> but it's too late. See, our enemy is a deceiver. He's a liar. In, in this chapter, it says, "He's beware of his schemes." Listen, I seriously doubt if Satan walked in here in pitch black, fangs, blood running out of his mouth. The devil showed up. Who wants to follow me? Come on, let's go. A few of you Twilight fans would probably go. You guys like that, you know? Oh, I like loving the person I'm not supposed to love. I like giving my soul to someone because I'm in love. I, I could go off on that, but I won't. I just did, actually. <clears throat> right? Right? Some of us would, but listen, listen, this is what I'm getting at. Most of us, we get that. The devil doesn't show up like that. Satan doesn't walk into our life and go, all right, here's the deal. I want you to be unfaithful to your wife and ruin your entire family right now. That's what I want you to do. Can we trade? Do that right now? You want to ruin your family? You good? Let's go. All right? All right, this is what I want you to do. Uh, I'm going to give you this business opportunity, and it's going to cause your entire life to be bankrupt because you're a fool and you're going to cheat on your income taxes. You're going to do something. this. I'm going to does he present things like that? Absolutely not. He doesn't show up in a full garb, even though you know it's funny on Saturday Night Live. He doesn't show up looking like the devil. We don't know he's there until his hands are around our throat. He enters so subtly. He knows your frame. He knows your weakness. Do you, do you tend to, f- to fudge the truth? That's where he's coming in. Do you lean towards being materialistic and you want to, everybody to look at you and say that you're successful by the way you dress and what you drive and the house and the money and the bank account? He's going to use that. I get people confessing their sin to me all the time. No one has ever confessed greed to me. Ever. Why? You're blind to it. There's always somebody with more. So you're just like, oh, I'm not as greedy as that guy. There's always somebody that's worse that you can point to. Beware the schemes of our enemy. He uses even our strength to get in, to get his hands around our throat, to destroy us. we armed for battle, but end up in hand-to-hand combat. Thomas Brooks, he's a Puritan, lived a few hundred years ago. He wrote this amazing book called Precious Remedies Against Satan Devices. And I would literally recommend it to every person in this room. You can get it on the Kindle. You can get it on your iPad. You can, get, you can order it. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks. He literally kind of does what we're doing today and gives a game plan except he breaks it down even more practically. And he says this. N- number 1, he says, one of the devil's leading strategies is showing us the bait but hiding the hook. Showing us the bait but hiding the hook. You don't know you're caught until it's too late and you've already swallowed the hook. This is how God uses success. This is how God uses pride. This is how God uses vanity. This is how God uses gossip and slander and greed. They're secret sins. They're sexy sins. They're sins that our culture raises as virtue. And Paul is trying to wake us up trying to smack us awake and say, they're strangling your faith. You're becoming just like the culture. You would rather be entertained on Sunday morning than sit under the word of God. You would rather be entertained than hear the word of God. You would rather be entertained than worship the one only true transcendent God. Our souls are being trained and they're being inoculated to the gospel. The Bible tells us that every one of us in this room have swallowed the hook. We've all chosen sin. We've all followed Satan. We have lied, we have cheated, we have stolen, and the only way out is through Jesus Christ. His blood, his cross is the only remedy for our soul. Did you hear me? Listen, some of you want to say, no, 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 no. I've done some bad things, but I'm doing good things. My whole plan this is my plan. I'm going to let you in on my plan. Here's my plan I did some bad things, but now I'm a good person. I'm going to do a lot more good things in the future. We'll get to heaven. God's going to go, bad things? Yeah, okay. Good thi- well, Good things? All right. You're in? <laughs> that's a bad plan. Because this is what God does. Bad things? Perfection. It's the only way. That's, the only people, listen to this, the only people that get through the gates of heaven in their own strength are perfect ones. And there's only one of those, and he was the son of God. So when we go before the throne, we say, bad deeds, Jesus Christ, I'm with him. His blood covers me. I'm under his sacrifice. I'm inside the gospel. If you're not passionately following Jesus Christ, I ask you today to turn from your way and accept the grace of God offered to you in Jesus Christ. Turn from your way and follow Christ, man. It's beautiful. It's better than you can imagine. It's tough. It's a battle. It's a war. But there's beauty in it. There's joy in it. For the Christian in here who feels defeated, Maybe you feel this morning like Satan has his hands around your neck right now. You've swallowed the hook. He's got his hands around your neck and you're gasping for air. He keeps reminding you of your sin. He keeps telling you over and over that you've done too much to be forgiven by God. You're too bad of a sinner. You're too far gone. You've done the unforgivable. Maybe Satan is speaking those lying words to you today. You're too bad. You're too deep in sin. I'm going to share with you one of Thomas Brooks' precious remedies for Satan's devices. He says this, For every one look at your sin, for every one look at your sins, take ten looks at Christ. For every one look at sin, take ten looks at Christ. Christ's life, His death, and His resurrection are sufficient. There is no sin too great for the blood of Christ. There is no sin that's unforgivable. You've done nothing that hasn't been done a million times throughout humanity. And Christ is so powerful as the Son of God. When God the Father crushed Him on the cross, He defeated sin, no matter what. All sin. When you confess and you repent, you're forgiven. Though sin still dwells in the regenerate. Though sin still dwells in those who call Christ their Savior. It does not reign over the regenerate. It does not reign over us. It indwells us. It's still inside us, but it doesn't reign over us. Christians rise by repentance. Christians show the power of Christ is more powerful in them through their repentance. Through our constant coming back to God and saying, you were right. I screwed it up again. I kind of thought when I came to you, I was going to be perfect. I was wrong. I screwed it up again. I look at my sin. I see it, but now I take 10 looks at Christ. Remind me of his sufficiency. Remind me of the power of his blood. Remind me that God saves me and I don't save myself. Remind me it's all grace. Remind me of the gospel. John 1, 1 John 1 says this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets a smack in the butt and say, go ahead, you get in. You, 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 we grade on a curve with you. You are really cool. Nobody gets that. God is just. Those who confess their sins are forgiven. We exchange our sins for Jesus' perfect righteousness by faith. Every head bowed and every eye closed in here, please. Father, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your work in redemption. I thank you for sending your one and only son to overcome the power of Satan, that he is a defeated foe, that he he, he desires to have us, he desires to master us, he desires to deceive us, to trick us, to lie to us. but you are stronger. You are in ultimate control. You are sovereign. And I ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction in this room. People who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are not passionately following him, you would convict them to repent of their sin, to step into community, to be a part of the body of Christ, to walk with a family of believers on your mission. Father, for those Christians in here who feel the weight of condemnation and the weight of sin. And the devil is lying and saying they're still in their sin. That you're mad at them, you're angry at them, you condemn them. He's lying. Those that are in Christ, there is no condemnation for them. Father, I pray that you would communicate grace to them. You would remind them of the gospel. You would give them the opportunity to look 10 times at the work of the cross and the work of Christ and his resurrection. Father, you would save. You would change. You would give light to those who sit in darkness. Let them see the beauty in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we come this morning to the bread and to the blood, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, you would communicate grace to us. Remind us it's your work that has saved us, not our own. You are a great God. May you be forever gloried. For your good and our glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.